I want you to close your eyes and imagine something for me. Go on, do it. Imagine a city in the lap of nature. The concrete forest hasn't taken over yet and there is lush greenery everywhere. The weather isn't too hot, nor is it too cold. It doesn't rain far too much, nor is it too dry. It's the perfect weather. A city that is well-developed enough to have every conceivable amenity that you might think of. Good housing, some great schools and colleges for your kids, and an ever-growing engineering industry for them to work in when they graduate. A city that was, and still is, a cultural and an intellectual hub with deep historical significance, earning it the nickname, the Oxford of the East. As you may know by now, I am of course talking about Purninagri, the city of good fortune. A city that you may now know as Pune, as it was seen in the 1970s and the 80s. No wonder it used to be called the pensioner's paradise. Unfortunately, the same paradise became every pensioner's living hell in 1976. This is the story of a string of serial killings that terrorized Pune and left 10 innocent people dead. This is the story of the Joshia Bhankar murders. In 1976, a group of students, Rajendra Chakkar, Dilip Sutar, Shantaram Kanoji Jagtap, and Munawar Harunsha were studying commercial arts at Abhinav Kalam Mahavidyalay or Abhinav Arts High School. From what I could find, these four weren't your usual students. They barely ever attended lectures, and when they weren't drinking or smoking, they were causing nuisance or stealing bikes and scooters to finance their debauchery. Tired of going after small fish, Jakkar, the de facto boss of the group, and I say that with heavy quotes, decided that they needed to catch a bail. They just so happened to be classmates with Prakash Hegde, the son of Sundar Hegde, who was the owner of a small restaurant near the heart of the city called Hotel Vishwa. Unbeknownst to Prakash, the group had hatched a plan to kidnap Prakash and ask for a ransom. On the 15th of January 1976, the group, with the assistance of another classmate, Suhash Chandak, lured Prakash to Jakkal's tin shed in Karvinagar where they forced him to write a runaway note. The crime was quite heinous as it is, but it went from cruel and scummy to outright terrifying when the group gagged Prakash, took him to Beshwe Park, a place mere 250 meters away from his father's restaurant, and strangled him with a blue nylon rope, an MO that would stay consistent throughout their crime spree. The body was then stuffed into an iron barrel along with some stones to weigh it down and dumped into a lake at Peshwe Park. They delivered the ransom note the next day. From the looks of it, the gang had no intention of keeping Prakash alive. The crime was so poorly planned as a matter of fact that they did not mention where the ransom money was to be dropped off, nor did they follow up with Mr. Sundar Hegde. Little is known about the gang's activities between Prakash's murder and their next crime except for some failed robbery attempts in Kolhapur, a city around 225 to 230 kilometers away from Pune, after which they returned. The night of October 31st, at around 8 p.m., the group targeted an innocent family staying at Vijayanagar colony, Stashivpet. They forced into the house of Achit Joshi, a successful and well-off businessman who was alone with his wife, Usha, and bound the couple at knife point. 
After gagging them, they proceeded to kill Achyu Joshi by strangling him with an iron rope. As they started ransacking the place, Anand, Mr. Joshi's teenage son, returned home and his fate was sealed. Anand was gagged and stripped and forced to direct the group to all the valuables in the house. They promptly proceeded to kill Anand in the same way they had killed his father. They managed to make off with a watch, a few thousand rupees, a Mangal Sutra and three innocent lives. The police were called to the Joshi residence the very next day and their bodies were sent for post-mortem. The cops noted that the house was in a state of complete disarray as if somebody was trying to rob the place. They were able to gather a few fingerprints at the crime scene but they were unfortunately confirmed to be the family's fingerprints by the forensics team. The police also noted a peculiar smell, something that described to have a pleasant and an unpleasant odor at the same time. Given the severity of the crime and the lack of any evidence found at the crime scene, the police assumed that this was a pre-planned crime. The police was also working under the assumption that this crime was committed by a gang as it would be quite difficult for a single person to kill three people in the way they were killed. Assistant Commissioner of Police at the time, Dr. Madhusudan Hulyalkar, the cop in charge of the investigation, was left horrified by the crime scene. It was unlike anything he had ever seen before and unfortunately for him, it wouldn't be the last time. Emboldened by their success, the gang selected a new target. On the 22nd of November, the group attacked the house of Yashomati Bafna, an affluent socialite in Pune. The gang thankfully faced strong resistance from the family and their two burly servants and one of the family members called out for help, scaring the group away. They scaled the wall surrounding the bungalow and fled. Yashomati Bafna reported the incident to the police and told the police that one of the gang members was being called the boss by the other three. The cops believed it to be a robbery attempt and Yashomati Bafna returned home. Little did she know how lucky she had been. Their next victims would not share the same luck. And just eight days later, they struck again and it would be the most horrifying attack of their crime spree. On the 1st of December 1976, at around 8pm, they struck the house of Kashinath Shastri Abhyankar, a noted Sanskrit scholar and his wife in Diravai. Their maids Sakubai Vak, their granddaughter Zai and their grandson Dhananjaya were also at home. The scary part is that they simply rang the doorbell to gain entry to the house. Dhananjay, whose parents were out attending a party, opened the door thinking that they had returned. The four quickly gagged and bound the family and strangled them the same way they had killed Mr. Joshi with a blue nylon rope. When except Zai, they then forced Zai to strip and show them where the valuables in the house were. After looting everything that they possibly could, they strangled Zai the same way they had the entire family and fled. Around 10.30, Shastrijit Sangajanan and his wife returned to one of the most gruesome scenes that a person could come home to. He had lost his family, his son, his daughter and his parents in one fell swoop the same night and in the most gruesome way possible. They screamed out and called for police who arrived shortly. The killers left behind no fingerprints. The same peculiar smell that was present at Mr. Josh's house and the police still had no solid evidence to rely on. But one thing was clear. These were the same killers that had killed Mr. Joshi and his family. The modus operandi was identical. News of the murder, as well as the fact that these murders could be committed by the same group, the same perpetrators, spread like wildfire. Pune, a city that once stood strong and fearless, was terrified. People stopped opening their doors to strangers after dark, and a city that was once hustling and bustling was vacant after six o'clock. The only people you could find on the street after dark were the cops and the CRPF officers that the commissioner was forced to deploy. 
The only sound that you could hear were the policemen's whistles and their lathis smacking the roads to scare off anyone and everyone with mal intentions. After a few uneventful months, the monsters struck again on the 23rd of March 1977. This time, the target was Anil Gokhale, the younger brother of their old classmate Jayant Gokhale. Anil was supposed to meet his brother at Alkatokis, a, a famous old cinema hall that still exists today. Unable to find his brother there, Anil started to make his way back home. Jakkar unfortunately came across Anil and offered to drop him home, which Anil promptly accepted. Instead of taking him home, Jakkar took Anil to his shed where the other three were waiting. Anil was first gagged, beaten up and dropped, and then strangled with an iron rope. His body was tied to an old um, iron ladder and weighed down with stones. Anil was dumped into Mulamutha River near Pand Garden and Jakkal had made a huge mistake. Two, in fact. The last mistakes he and his gang would make. The currents were strong and had undone the rocks that were weighing the body down. The body was spotted by the locals the very next day floating around Yaroda, a few kilometers away from where the body was dumped. That would be their first mistake. The cops were called and a special team led by Police Inspector Manik Rao Damami, under the command of ACP Madhusudan Hulyalkar, investigated the matter. They noticed that the knots used to tie Anil to the ladder were eerily similar to the knots used to tie the Joshi and Abhyankar families. During a closer inspection, the police also found an identity card in one of the pockets. Wet as it was, the ID card included the name of the victim, the dead body lying in front of them, as well as the college that he once attended. That would be the gang's second fatal mistake the one that led to their demise. Police started rounding up everyone Anil was seen hanging around with and that included these four killers. They were interrogated individually and gave conflicting statements, raising suspicion. But due to lack of strong evidence, the group had to be let go of. The cops kept a close eye on them though and upon their release, Dilip Sutar was overheard assuring Shantaram Kanoji that the boss would handle the cops. The language was suspiciously similar to what Yashomati Bafna had reported to the police, adding another piece of evidence to the overwhelming, ever-growing pile. During an interrogation of one of their friends, Satish Gore, Satish broke down and named Suhash Chandak, the same Suhash Chandak that had helped lure in their very first victim, Prakash. Suhash told the police that he dissociated with the group despite of threats to his life and confessed to his role in luring Prakash. This was the evidence that they needed and the cops sprung into action. The four were immediately caught and interrogated. This time, they confessed to killing Prakash and directed the police to his skeletonized dead body. They revealed that they would wear rubber gloves to ensure that no fingerprints were left behind, that they would spray the crime scene so that police dogs would not be able to catch scent of the criminals, and that the depraved reason behind stripping the victims was to make sure that the victims do not run out of the house and seek help out of shame. The trial against the four began on 15th of May, 1978 at the Sessions Court in Pune. And after four months of deliberation, the judge sentenced the four criminals to death by hanging. All of them would appeal their conviction at the Bombay High Court and their appeal was rejected in under a year. They appealed to the Supreme Court as well and the Supreme Court upheld their conviction. Not give up and sought a presidential pardon. <laughs> the gone on this comebacks. The pardon, of course, was rejected and in a bid to buy time, they appealed to the court that dying by hanging was a painful death, unlike, of course, the peaceful death that the victims faced at their hands. Did that they be executed by electric chair? Court was assured by multiple doctors from across the country that death by hanging was one of the most peaceful 
ways to go and the conviction was upheld again and this time for the last time the honorable judges vd durzapurkar and ranganath mishra condemned the criminals in strong words and i quote the concerned offenses were committed between january 1976 and march 1977 in other words the death penalty has been brooding over each one's heads for an excruciatingly long period but to the magnitude the gruesome nature of the offenses and the manners perpetrating them in this case in all the facts and circumstances must be regarded as falling within the rare of the rarest categories and any leniency shown in the matter of sentence would not only be misplaced but will certainly give rise to and foster a feeling of private revenge among the people leading to destabilization of society that sentence awarded should be carried away without any further loss of time and with that the four were hanged at the yarawada police station on the 27th of november 1983 this was blood stained with path stay vigilant stay safe and until next time Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>